Welcome to the Insurance Law Podcast, brought to you by Best Directory of Recommended Insurance Attorneys. Welcome to the Insurance Law Podcast, the broadcast about timely and important legal issues affecting the insurance industry. I'm John Zuba, editor of Best Directory of Recommended Insurance Attorneys. Joining me is Brendan Noonan from our communications team. We're pleased to have with us this morning attorney Jameson Pegg from the law firm of Nelson, Thompson, Pegg, and Thornton in Los Angeles, California. Jameson is a partner with the firm and has over 25 years of legal experience. She focuses on insurance coverage, bad faith, and subrogation matters. Today's topic centers on insurance coverage matters and the challenges of dealing with acting celebrities in the entertainment business, and particularly the motion picture industry. And Brendan Noonan will lead off today with our first question. Jameson, in the entertainment industry, does coverage litigation occur between the artist and the insurer? And if so, what is the typical circumstance that gives rise to such litigation? The fact of litigation is becoming um, a larger reality, both for studios that produce motion pictures and for the insurance carriers that provide coverage. Let me just set the parameters of how the litigation typically arises and the kind of insurance product that is involved. The insurance that typically is written to cover delays in production or complete inability to produce a motion picture to finality That insurance product is cast insurance, and the goal of cast insurance is to provide protection to the studio or the production company in the event that the principled artist, the actor or actress, becomes unable to perform, usually because of injury or illness. And that inability to perform can be complete, or it can be simply something that would cause a delay in production. And with the enormity of expense that goes along with making a motion picture and the logistics that have to be in place in order for production to follow a schedule, the claims that arise that are presented to an insurance company on behalf of a studio have significant dollar value right from the start. So the cast insurance is there to protect the studio from that eventuality. And the interesting aspect of these types of lawsuits when they do arise is that the artist is not the insured. The artist has no contractual relationship vis-a-vis the insurance policy with the carrier. The artist is the subject of the insurance. And so the privity of contract requirement really exists only as between the studio and the carrier, with the artist being the entity, the person, the commodity that needs to be insured. And the contract between the studio and the artist would have a similar requirement that the artist be able to perform, that the artist be free of any disability. And that representation would be attested to by the artist in the contract with the studio. So the carrier seeks to define the scope of insurance to have to do with the ability of the artist to perform, as does the studio, which needs that assurance from the artist. In practical terms, in the day-to-day environment of movie making, the carrier and the artist really only come into contact with one another and have an interplay when the process of verifying the artist's medical state begins. And that would involve, most typically, a medical examination, and it would also require that the artist fill out a questionnaire. It's in those two events, really, that the carrier comes into contact with the artist. Otherwise, it is the carrier in the studio that operate in privity. When litigation starts to erupt, it most typically would erupt in sort of one of three fact patterns. One would be litigation between the studio and the carrier. 
and those sorts of lawsuits would almost always be driven by insurance policy interpretation questions, the sort of dry, esoteric, academic insurance questions that have to do with the reading and interpretation of the policy. Sometimes the particular artist will be declared to be what's called an essential element. If the artist is an essential element to the production and the artist can no longer perform, the studio will have the right to abandon the production completely, walk away from the production, and then seek reimbursement in toto from the carrier by virtue of the policy. If there isn't an essential element issue, but rather there's a claim presented by the studio to the carrier because the artist can't perform, there may also be very, very generic almost insurance coverage issues as between the studio and the carrier about whether the loss is actually caused by the inability to perform and whether the loss is, is within the basic scope of the insuring agreement. The really sexy lawsuits and the ones that are becoming more prevalent are those in which the studio suffers a loss, it presents a claim to the carrier, the carrier accepts the claim as being covered under the policy, but in the course of investigating the illness or the injury, suffered by the artist, the carrier sometimes discovers that the artist has not been forthcoming in that interplay that involved the medical exam and the artist filling out the medical questionnaire. It's in those lawsuits that the studio is not a party to the litigation because the studio, as the insured, will have had its claim paid by the carrier, but the carrier will then obtain a right either through subrogation or directly on the basis of fraud against the artist himself or herself for not disclosing either a pre-existing medical condition or an inability to perform which was known to the artist at the time they executed the medical questionnaire or went through the medical exam. Those lawsuits are the unusual, highly contentious, very delicate to manage sorts of litigation that are becoming more dominant in the entertainment industry. Jameson, can you uh, comment specifically on the coverage issues that can arise? And also, can you comment on a few cases involving specific actors or actresses? Sure. Let's talk first about the coverage issues that are policy-driven. By that, I mean coverage issues that have to do with the language on the policy and the interpretation of the words in the policy. In recent years, going back to the essential element coverage, which of course carries with it that right on the party, a part of the studio, to abandon the production. That right of abandonment, if the essential element cannot perform, of course triggers significant losses to the studio and in turn to the carrier. In a recent case involving Capital Films versus U.S. Specialty, which was the carrier, the question with regard to the essential element coverage was whether the essential element coverage which was in place for the featured actor, whether that coverage was broad enough to encompass the pre-production period of time. That coverage issue, you can see, is a on-the-policy wording interpretation issue. Was the inability, in this case, of Samuel L. Jackson, he was the essential element, Without his participation in the movie, the studio had the right to abandon the production, seek reimbursement from the carrier. The essential element coverage, 
the issue in that litigation is what period of time did it encompass pre-production, production, or post-production. And in the world of, of entertainment insurance, there are times where these academic issues look very much like the same kind of coverage issue that we would litigate on a basic CGL, a comprehensive general liability policy. That is to say, questions of whether a loss is within the policy period look very much like the Capital Films case, was the essential element coverage inclusive of the pre-production period of time. In other cases, which are also on the policy language, the coverage issue is really whether the loss is caused by a covered loss as defined by the policy. Is it a situation in which the artist really is prevented from performing by virtue of an injury or an illness? Or is there some other cause of the loss that results in the artist's inability or sometimes refusal to perform? With regard to a production uh, entitled Cinderella Man, long since released, there was during production an inability on the part of Russell Crowe to perform. That then led to delay and downtime, which then in turn has a snowball effect not only on those persons making the movie, but the other artists involved. When Renee Zellweger then couldn't perform and a further delay was suffered, the question becomes, on the policy interpretation, what is the cause of that second artist's inability to perform? Is that person not able to perform because of a covered loss, or is it the result of some other factor? There are situations in which a movie will be in production, and from time to time an artist will determine for himself or herself, that the production doesn't feel right, may not be going the way they anticipated. There might be discord on the set. There might be interpersonal relationships, which are difficult. And sometimes the artist doesn't want to complete the production. And there might be an incident on set where there's a minor injury or an injury that doesn't appear to be significant, but that injury could mushroom into a delay. That can often cause litigation between the studio and the carrier on the cause of the loss. Again, a policy interpretation question. The coverage issues that arise when the litigation is between the artist and the carrier are very different because, as I said at the outset, there is no contractual relationship between the artist and the insurance company relative to the cast insurance. The insurance relationship has nothing to do with the rights and remedies of the carrier if it believes that an artist misrepresents the medical condition or medical status at the outset of the production. On those cases, they become cases that look very much like straightforward fraud lawsuits with all of the elements of a fraud cause of action, but with an overlay of insurance coverage issues on top of it. Because, as I said, the way in which the carrier interacts with the artist is through a medical questionnaire and a medical examination. And the medical questionnaire is uh, most, I think, analogous to an application for disability insurance or health insurance, some kind of first-party coverage. And on that medical questionnaire, the actor or the actress will be asked a litany of medical questions about a prior medical history soup to nuts. And the artist is required, of course, to answer not only the questions truthfully, 
but attest to the fact that the artist has disclosed everything that he or she knows about their medical condition in order to be cleared for the production. When those sorts of lawsuits occur and the insurance carrier pays the claim, takes care of the named insured, and the named insured is not out of pocket, the insurance carrier then either is subrogated to the rights of the studio and files the suit against the actor or the actress, or it has direct rights based upon fraud or negligent misrepresentation. The court then will be required in that litigation to interpret the language on the medical questionnaire. And significant legal questions then arise as to how to interpret that language, which is not insurance policy language, but rather is on something that looks like an application for insurance, and certain legal questions concerning the burdens of proof and how you interpret language come up in addition to the question of the subjective understanding of the actor or actress about their medical status and whether they were forthcoming or they were not. In litigating these claims, are there issues that are specific to the entertainment industry and uh, what do the insurance companies need to be concerned about? Let's talk about who the players are in this arena. When litigation is in place, and these relationships have already been established. That is to say, there's a relationship between the artist and the studio by virtue of the contract to perform in the production. There's a relationship between the carrier and the studio by virtue of the insurance policy. There's a relationship between the carrier and the artist by virtue of the representations made on the medical questionnaire and the involvement in the medical examination. And then there is a relationship among all of those parties and the judiciary when litigation ensues and the parties seek the assistance of the court in sorting out their rights and remedies, collecting damages, and interpreting the various legal documents. From the perspective of each of those four players, studio, artist, carrier, and judiciary. There are incentives to litigate or not, and incentives to litigate in a particular way, which are not necessarily at play in other types of litigation around the country. The perspective of the studio, of course, is it's in the business to make movies, make money, and in order to facilitate that, it needs to have solid and productive relationships with the artist. So studios, as the named insureds, may well be loath to participate in any litigation with an artist. And they may be similarly not interested in assigning rights of subrogation to the carrier, which the carrier might otherwise have on the policy. And so there's a tension there for the studio in needing to have the artist be forthcoming when they enter into a contract to perform, needing to know that the artist is physically capable of performing because the dollars at risk are significant, and that inevitability that sometimes things go awry and the studio may actually need to seek recovery from the artist. So there's a tension for the studio as a litigation participant and the named insured. Quite often, the studio will not want the carrier to pursue an artist if there is a problem with misrepresentation. Of course, from the perspective of the artist, the actor or the actress wants none of the litigation process. They want to be out doing what they do, 
do it successfully and not be bogged down in contentious litigation. There are realities of litigation which are difficult for the general public to accept. They are magnified sometimes with celebrities. Of course, often for the celebrity, the idea of being under the control of a litigation process where subpoenas can be issued, depositions can be taken, depositions can be videotaped, information it gets into the public record, all of those devices which are part and parcel of litigation are very difficult in terms of being acceptable to people who are celebrities, particularly what people would consider, you know, high-level, A-list celebrities. They lose an element of control. It's disruptive to their lives. And the system of litigation can be very difficult for them to comply with and move through without a lot of resistance, not only by them, but counsel representing them. From the perspective of the third player, which is the carrier, the carrier that underwrites motion pictures or episodic television needs to know the risk that they are insuring, as does any insurer underwriting any risk on any type of a policy of insurance. And so the carrier in the entertainment industry has to ensure that when it puts out a medical questionnaire as part of the process for movie production, that the execution of that medical questionnaire and the answering of those questions becomes a serious and respected part of movie production, and it doesn't become relegated to something as unimportant as, you know, a costume fitting or a script reading, because the carrier has to be able to gauge its risk. And in fact, if the carrier learns in the process of securing the medical questionnaire that there is a pre-existing medical condition or issue, the carrier has underwriting devices that it can employ to underwrite around those risks, shift those risks, and address those risks. Of course, if the carrier doesn't know and it accepts a risk as being one within underwriting guidelines that it can quantify, and then after the fact discovers a misrepresentation, the carrier almost has to pursue litigation to demonstrate the seriousness of the matter to the entertainment community so that they in turn pass along that seriousness to the artist. But the carrier also has a tension because of the reluctance of the named insured to engage in litigation, which puts the artist in the line of fire, which can put the artist into a negative publicity mode and can put sensitive medical information into the public record. Those are tensions for the carrier. Of course, the fourth player in, in any litigated matter is the court, the judiciary, which when, when all is said and done is a human being sitting on the bench and that judge may love the actor or actress, may think that the actor or actress is the best at his or her craft. And when that person comes into the court as a defendant in a lawsuit, what is difficult for carriers to evaluate is the extent to which celebrity affects everyone, whether the person is on the bench or the person is someone in the general public simply out on the street. When you're face-to-face -face with celebrity, it can have an effect which is highly unpredictable, even for the judiciary. So for insurance carriers engaging in litigation, trying to understand all of the tensions that apply to those four players is a matter that is much more art than science and 
even if you think you can predict and understand how each of those players may operate in one lawsuit, carrying forward that prediction into the next lawsuit is extremely difficult, which for the entertainment industry and the insurance industry translates into enormous risk if unpredictability is the rule of the day. Okay, Jameson, thank you very much for uh, joining us today. Thank you. Have a great afternoon. That was Jameson Pegg from the law firm of Nelson, Thompson, Pegg, and Thornton in Los Angeles, California. Special thanks to Brendan Noonan from our communications team and to our producer, Brian Cohen. And thank you all for joining us for the Insurance Law Podcast. To subscribe to this audio program, visit podcast.insuranceattorneysearch.com or go to online directories such as iTunes or Google or Yahoo's podcast directory. If you have any suggestions for a future topic regarding an insurance law case or issue, please email us at lawpodcast.ambest.com. I'm John Zuba, joined by Brendan Noonan, and now this message. Best's directory of recommended insurance attorneys is used by decision makers at insurance companies responsible for selecting legal counsel and representation. The printed directory is distributed annually to insurance companies, non-insurance companies, third-party administrators, and corporate counsel around the world, and the online edition is accessible throughout the year. Your listing in Best's directory of recommended insurance attorneys is the most effective way to ensure that thousands of potential clients have access to your outstanding credentials. Here's why you should be listed in the number one insurance attorney reference. Your firm's credentials will be listed in our comprehensive reference guide, which is made available to thousands of insurance professionals globally, both in print and online. AMBEST listees are recognized as the most qualified in their field to represent the unique needs of insurance companies. Key decision makers rely on the directory to take the guesswork out of their selection process. They know that only the best are listed, those firms with a proven track record of excellence who are recommended by their insurance industry clients. And remember, one low rate guarantees year long visibility for your firm. We invite you to use our web application process to apply for a listing today. With our reasonable rates and broad exposure, there's no more effective way to get the attention of the insurance industry. For more information about Best's Directory of Recommended Insurance Attorneys, visit www.insuranceattorneysearch.com. 